You're listening to the best bits of the Breakfasters from 3 Triple R. You are listening to the Breakfasters podcast for the week 18th of June to the 22nd of June. This week, uh, what did we do? We started off the week without Jeff on Monday. He was away. Sick. Uh, he was very sick. He was very unwell. And Edo Edmonds, though, came in to talk about Helen Badu into the Spinnaker Lounge. That was a lot of fun. No, it's heaps of fun. Also, uh, I saw some whales on Jeez. on the weekend. So I talked about some doing some whale watching. And then also um, decided that I'm going to quit comedy and radio and become a, a whale-watching captain on a boat. A whale captain. Whale a captain wh- hickey. Yep. <laughs> yes. And then we caught up with Richard Dennis. He's got a quarterly essay out about uh, neoliberalism and how neoliberalism ate itself. It's called Dead Right. We talked to him and we also caught up with Greg Sestero, who we spoke to last year. This time he's back with a new film, Best Friends. He told us about that and he how... He of the Room. He of the Room, that's right. And he told us about how Tommy Wiseau thought that he was going to kill him. All that and more. <laughs> you are listening to Breakfasters. Uh, Jeff's away today. So, so just uh, get well soon, buddy. And uh, thank goodness you're not here coughing all over us again. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so on Saturday, I had uh, the possibly the greatest day. Of my life. Oh, look, I saw your Instagram stories on Saturday and I thought, Jez must be losing her mind. So let's catch up um, with how special it was. So Wales, let's start with the Wales. Now, if you've seen um, previous shows or you've heard me talk about my wish to see a surprise whale. <laughs> like I've just, I've never seen a whale. I just, I quite often fantasise about just being out on a boat and there's a whale. Hello. Yeah. Surprise whale. <laughs> But I'd love it. And then I thought, well, I might be waiting a very long time to see a surprise whale. So I'll go, I'll book in and do a whale watching thing. So, and it was, it's kind of a surprise thing because I only planned it like an hour before I left. Surprise is also, this is the question I have because I'm going to Byron Bay in about a week mm-hmm. and I want to see a whale because they're, they're about at the moment. Yep. Do, do I have to do a, if you go on a tour, mm-hmm. are you guaranteed to see a whale? Uh. Yes. Oh. Well, that, this is the thing. Like I, I – most of the, the – they'll say if you don't see a whale, you, they'll give you a free ticket to come back again. Okay. Within that season. Right. Um, and But it is prime time for yeah, the whales right. at the moment. Um, and because I was in the frame of mind of I probably won't but I'll enjoy the boat ride. Like that'll be that'll be fun. So I um, yeah woke up in the morning. I thought oh, I had no plans for that Saturday during the day. I thought I've got all day free. I can do whatever I want. So I went down and had some breakfast quite early, Lovely. like eight thirty or something. And then I thought I'll just sit and think about what I want to do for the rest of the day. And then was like, what? Actually, I could go whale watching. And then I looked up and I said, when is the best time to do whale watching? Turns out right now. Right now oh. is a good time to do it, um, you know, over the next, you know, over the winter months when they're migrating up to the warmer waters, have their baby in the warm water, then they go back to Antarctica or the cold waters. The, world, Look, I'm not, the home of the whales. Yeah. I'm not a whale expert, <laughs> let's be honest. I just I just want to see just one. Just got a tattoo one of one yeah. on your leg. Yeah, I do. <laughs> Never seen one, got a tattoo of one. Uh so I was looking up online um, different cruises and stuff you could do 
And then I – and also the appropriate time as well. Mm. Like a lot of them were like four hours. I'm like, oh, that's lovely. That would be nice. But then I found one and it was on like a um, a bit of a speedboat. See, this is what I want in and out. Yeah, so good. Do you get seasick? So I get seasick. This is another problem. Or are you okay on boats? I'm okay on boats. All right. Really okay on both. I love them. <laughs> Just so, um, and then it was like I looked at the time. It was like ten o'clock, and there was one leaving at uh, eleven from Circular Quay. Love and it. I, was, I looked at. It, I'm like, I can get there in twenty minutes. I can do this. I can. I can do it. Go. <laughs> I booked in. I reckon I bought the last ticket. Oh, as well. I'm like, come on, you can do it. Eleven. It was like two hours. So we went from Circular Key to to Manly, and then out into the waters, and then and then back again. I was like, oh my god, this is, this is happening. This is going to happen. And so the boat is like, um, you know, it's this big speed boat. It's like twenty twenty of us on there. Like there's rows of three, and I sat right up the front um, on the side. And you kind of hold on to the chair in front and then away we went and then uh, picked up the people in Manly. And as we were, like, you know, heading out, like, you know, you say good day to the people around you and stuff and, yeah. you know, it's all tourists. There's a woman from Sweden sitting next to me and then some people from the UK sitting around us. And then as we were kind of walking, cruising out on the boat, I'm like, my God, this is like the um, the start of <clears throat> Rogue you know, the movie Rogue with the crocodile and they're yeah. all going on the crocodile tour. I've not seen Rogue, but I'm feeling oh, the vibe. Sorry, spoiler alert, <laughs> on Rogue, they, they're all in and they get eaten by a crocodile, right? A lot of them do. So don't worry about them. Look at me. <laughs> and then so they're, uh, we're in this boat and I'm thinking this is, this is like this could be the start of a, a horror film, like we're whales. Yes. I know whales don't kill people, like... Deliberately, yeah. But I'm like, this could happen. Well, I get it. I'm like, I don't know what. Maybe a killer whale. Is yeah. that what they're called? Still, they're not called that, are they? Orcas. Orcas. Yeah. But but that's the vibe. Like I'm actually a bit scared of whales. So I'll be honest. Really? Yeah. You've never said that before. Is that no, I is, a, is that like the way that I'm scared of sharks? But I love sharks. That kind of same feeling. Yeah, but I think the a fear of sharks is more justified. I'm just. Yeah. What are you scared a whale's going to do to you? Um, Open its mouth. Maybe. I don't know. They're just so big. big. Yeah. And it's kind of a bit frightening. I like guess the just, size. And, yeah, that makes sense. I get it. And you don't know when they're going to come up and where. Yes. Yes. But they're not going to just come up under a boat. They're not? I oh, know. I did watch a, a, a movie once where orcas tipped over a boat based yeah, or- on a true story. Yeah. See, orcas seem a bit scary. but. Yeah. I'm sure that all was, and I know it's it's doesn't make sense, but they're just so big. No, and I just yeah. How are they even to know? They might be coming up and they're not yeah. aiming for you, but there yeah. you go. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, so anyway, we're we're cruising out, so I'm a little bit scared, but also very, very, very excited. It's a great combination there. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, and so in my mind the whole time I'm thinking I'm just enjoying the boat ride. This is going to be fun, mm. right? And then we get out and we're, we've been out there for like two minutes and then he goes, there's two over there. I'm like, already. Whoa. Bang, there they are. And How mind, far away are you? T- could you see them? I could not see them at okay. all. <laughs> and I, but but I, I could just be lying. I reckon that's the way he gets out of having to give you another ride. Yeah, there's two over there that missed it. All right, let's keep going. <laughs> that's exactly what I thought. I thought 
that's oh, this is how they do it. They go, there's yeah, you saw some, they're over yeah. there. And, but I just went, no, trust him. Like, and he said, I'll, I'll head over towards them. And then someone else on the boat went, there they are. And he goes, oh, that's the ones that I'm looking for. So they'll come up, they'll, you'll see the, the spray of water <gasps> come out. And then, because he said, they'll come up um, like every five minutes or so to begin <gasps> with. So they came up and they, they'll take a couple of breaths, get rid of all that, you know, water. excess breath and stuff and then they'll go back down and they travel for about five about five k's an hour so we just track along alongside them and then so we're there again when they pop up do you know what kind of whales they are no humpback whales oh my god they're huge incredible so amazing and and so when you first so none of them breached so you just saw you know they're they would hump their back. That's why they get where they get their name from, and so and you see that the tails and stuff would come out. But was that exciting, or were you wanting to see the whole? I was, of course, I would love to see the whole thing, but that was just s- cool. Satisfied, I was absolutely satisfied with just seeing that, and it's also there's. Like they, you know, they come up and you go whoa, and then they go back down. And you don't know when, when they're, they're going to come up, and it's. There's just this sign, especially when they've been down for, for ages and you're like, oh, when are they? And then, whoa, there they are again. It's like every whale is a surprise whale in that situation. Yes, yes, and that's where the fear comes from as well. <laughs> like it's that, like it's, you know, like being in a thriller. You nerves. just don't, yeah, so nervous. And so we were um, kind of tracking alongside these two whales that, that actually came towards us. They were like, you know, quite curious and they came over and were hanging out. But then all these other boats started coming over oh to us no. as well. Get, Get away! These are our whales we're having a look at. You know, there was one other. There was another tourist whale watching thing. I'm like, they're all right. They were like far enough behind. I couldn't see them. Didn't worry about them. And then there was all these bloody luxury lot yachts oh. coming over. Get away, all rich these, people! Yeah, you already afford everything. Exactly. And then you know. Like the, our, our captain of our boat had to yell at someone. He goes, get out. They don't like it there. Just move back. Oh, wow. It, that was, did they like, listen? Yeah, yeah, they did. And But he, but the whole time we were, like, checking out these particular ones, he's or, because it, just constantly scanning the horizon line, looking for splashes of water Is coming out. Is there that out. many that are going at the moment? Mate, it was insane. There was five pods that five we saw pods. five different pods. There's like two or three in each pod. Mind you, he said he saw five pods. I saw two, but my sight isn't the best, and he knows what he's looking for. Yeah. So, but he said that they estimate there's about thirty thousand whales. <gasps> I am going to see one if I go to Byron Bay. Yeah, it's probably highly likely. Yeah, and because I, I was just amazed at how. Yeah, they're just there, like, and and they're all you know because back in the seventies when they were when they stopped the whaling, there was like you said that there was only like there was hundreds left, and now there's like thirty thousand left. So it's that like really cool. Oh man, how often do you hear like the opposite? Yeah, of you know, normally I'm it's so the other happy way. Happy you got your whale. Oh, it's the best. You are listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3 Triple R, 102.7 in Melbourne. Uh, so you are listening to Triple R, 
uh, here on Breakfasters. Now, listeners may remember our next guest is one of the co-hosts of one of the greatest shows here on Triple R, The Download. <laughs> She's a multi-award winning comedian and the creator of the diversive character fashion expert, Helen Badu. It's Ann Edmonds, a.k.a. my mate, Edo. Good morning, everybody. Hello. Morning. Hey, Jez, if, I, if, if we ever have this conversation where you go, hey, Edo, what are you doing this weekend? I go, oh, I'm going to go down to Hobart and get in a steel box <laughs> and get buried under the road. <laughs> Go, nah. Nah. <laughs> I don't get it, What's mate? it all about? What's doing? he doing? I don't, what is it, what's it about? Is it magic? Did he have a light in Was he reading a book in there? You must have yeah. had a light. Mm, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. How do you go to the toilet? That's the only question oh, people are left with. Oh, yeah. Pop, pop, wheeze. <laughs> yeah, good question. <laughs> uh, let's, um, thanks for coming in, yeah, by the good. way. Yeah, that's all right. Can you tell, for anyone that doesn't know um, Helen Badu, mm. fill us in. Who is she? Helen Badu, she's a woman. In a, she says she's in her early 30s, but I think she's in her early 40s. And she was on the show, hit breakfast show Get Crackin' on the ABC, mm-hmm. Kate McLennan, and Kate McCartney, and she was the fashion expert on there. Um, and she... Duh, she like she was she had to do like something where she changed sarongs and it dropped on live on television. Yeah, and then she could see your pixelated boobs. Yeah, <laughs> and then she had a, she's had a few other meltdowns, and then she decided to do a Melbourne International Comedy Festival show, <laughs> which was unfortunate. So uh, that was this year, and now she's doing an encore of that. Congratulations, mm. <clears throat> and that's all sold out. That's sold out. So, so thanks for having go me. Go home. <laughs> Uh, I'm actually quite amazed at how many people think that Helen is real. Mm, oh, yeah. Do you find yeah. that is that oh. is that a compliment or is that just um, monumentally annoying? Well, no, it's a compliment in a way, but it's I mean it's disturbing on a few levels. First of all, about those people's lives if they think because Helen's like a she's a sarong wearing peroxided sort of Botoxed person, mm-hmm. um, and if you think she's real, that means you've probably got people like that in your life that would be like, oh, yeah, there's Arnie Jan, what's wrong with that? <laughs> Down from the Gold Coast. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I did a, I went on the project, well, Helen went on the project, and that was hard. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> mate, that was, I watched that and then I watched social media's response mm. to that. What the f? It, like, it went off. It, it exploded went off because it was yes. Like you did, um, you were on Nova that morning, yeah. And that was that was funny. That, that was, was funny. great. That was yeah. great. But then things took a turn. Yeah, she got really angry. So live on television. So did everyone believe? Did you get attacked as? Did you get attacked as Edo by people thinking that Helen Badu is real or both? Both. Yeah, just came at it from just all angles. There's a bit of people recognising me and then having a go at me directly and then just general, um, <laughs> just general, yeah, she thought she was a real person. And the anger, like never in all my years will I understand the angry response to comedy. It's just baff, like people are like, get off! Like, like, I don't know what, like what's, what's going on, what's happening in your life where they're just yeah. like, get off! I'm going to ring the A triple C. I'm going to ring. Oh it's like, God. what's wrong? What's what? happened? Like, if you see something on the television that, you, that you're confused about, just go, oh, well. <laughs> Change the channel. <laughs> five minutes later, it's over. This is like, Aah! I'm going to have to kill her. I'm like, all right. Oh, geez. Just the telly. Are you really? Oh, man, that's. 
It's yeah. a bit full on. It was, but yeah, I don't care. Good on you. Enjoy <laughs> yourself. Um, but yeah, I guess they're people who either thought she was real or um, I don't know. Did you get that at any of the shows during comedy festival? Do you think anyone came and saw Helen thinking <laughs> Helen was Helen? <laughs> I don't know. Actually, it's a good question. No, I think most people were on board because yeah. I'd say certain catchphrases and they they'd finish them for me and stuff. So it was a bit of a Helen. Like what? I'd say. Hi, everybody. Um, <laughs> you know what I'm wearing? It's my signature look. It's my sarong. It's so wrong. It's so right. Yeah, stuff like that. Hey. <laughs> I came and saw you. I was front row. Mm, oh, sorry. Uh, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was so, I didn't know what to do with my face and how to look at you. Do you, do you get <laughs> That sounds like most of my exes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, do you get, do you, can you see people in the audience when you're performing and see yeah. their response to you? Because it's such an extremely physical performance. Mm. And do you, does that intimidate you or change the, or, or spur you on? Yeah, it used to. Oh, it's easier in character, actually. Mm. As yeah, a right. stand up, it used to, I've gone through various stages of fixating on angry people in the audience and stuff like that. But now, as a, char- as a character, it's really great. Can you, you can just like look at them and smile and go, <laughs> All the best. Like, it's, um, no, I don't care anymore. I don't care yeah, about nice. anything anymore. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> but there was, I remember when we, did, when we did Perth years ago mm. and, you know, they, we had the option of lighting the audience <laughs> up or, and you were like, nah, put them in the dark. I don't want to see any of their dumb faces. Put them under the road in Hobart. <laughs> Um, I, no, yeah, I don't want to see their dumb... Some of them I don't want to see their dumb faces, yeah. Some of them that are angry. There's a lot of anger out there, isn't there? Do you really? You get a lot of angry people at your shows. Yeah, there's angry people everywhere. You get a lot of, um, you get a lot of husbands brought along by wives oh. who have said, no, nah, this, I'm I'm this is my choice tonight, we're going to this. And then the husband's just, like, out to prove that you, I'm not funny and she's wrong and he hates women and that. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Get off! <laughs> <laughs> I made a lot of eye contact. What's the, sorry, what's the name of the comic that's your son? Uh, uh, Sam, Sam Campbell. Son? Sam Campbell. Sam Campbell. I made a lot of eye contact with him Did during you? that show. Yeah, unintentionally, and it made me very uncomfortable. Yeah, it would. He's not, yeah, I'm surprised he could make eye contact. That's <laughs> normally beyond him. <laughs> So why did you introduce Helen? To, well, how did you create Helen's son? Where did that come from? Um, I think just um, writing, oh, I, oh, just in order to create a whole narrative around her beyond yeah. the Get Cracking show, just family's normally the way to go for me to do that. And I think she just needed someone to play off, you know. Like yeah. I just didn't want to spend the hour just talking to the audience. I needed someone to sort of be off to the side and, and do that kind of sidekicky thing with. So, yeah. And Sam was quite perfect. He was perfect, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's funny, yes. Yeah, he's great, he's great. So, um, yeah, no, that was good. She And she could, he was a very um, timid, inferior, kind of insecure character, so she just ripped in. But he has a few wins, which is nice in the show. Yeah. He comes, he's, he's adorable, he's sort of very vulnerable. He did an amazing job. He's a good kid. Uh, has Helen got any merch? Is she going to bring no. out some merch? Oh, my God, are you serious? I don't think she... No, she doesn't at the moment, but she should. Like she, she needs sh- merch. Yeah. I think it was just too... I, I couldn't do it. It was too well, hard. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, because you you were supposed to take this year off festival. Yeah. This is your time for... Yeah. Well, really? Time what were you going to do? I don't know. I just was going to 
get in touch with myself or <laughs> study French or something. I don't know. But in the end, I was like, oh, I'll just do a Helen show at, late at night um, at the last minute to my management. And they're like, all right, I'll go do a couple of cover songs. <laughs> and just and then it turned into something else. You got nominated for a Barry. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. That's yeah, fine. she was good. She, she's... It's a lot of. This is a show that's extreme fun for me. I don't. I, I like. I see it in the calendar. I'm like, yeah, because you're in character, yeah. mostly. Yeah, in character and singing. Because I, I used to, when I was first at doing shows, I used to sing all the time and write songs, and then that mm. dropped out a bit. You and told then, me you stopped doing that because you got sick of carrying your banjo around. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's too heavy. Can you actually play a banjo? Yeah. yeah. I thought that was just a. Like, like a, a, a prop. Yeah, yeah prop. <laughs> nah, I can play it. That's excellent. It is heavy. And I kicked, that's right, because I took it to London and I kicked it. I kicked it all, like kicked it, like broke it. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, that's the end of the bench. <laughs> kicked a hole in it. Have so you, it's annoying. It's too heavy. Have you done Helen only in Melbourne and Sydney? As you, have you done yes. it anywhere else? No, not yet. But we are, I think, going to do a little Queensland. Because I want to know how she's received oh. in Queensland. Mm, we were just... Trying to lock that in at the moment, in particular the Gold Coast. <gasps> I'm angling for Jupiter's Casino because I just reckon, yeah, and no, I just reckon it won't be a comedy show. They'll just be like, yep. Just a couple of songs, and they're quite good, those songs. And um, yeah, Sun, Sun's a bit weird, but I don't know, she's quite, she's on the level. <laughs> and is that the only big plans? Yeah, for, I, for now, I, I think the other probably spiritual home for her is Perth. Yes. Um, but, yeah, for now, but I think she, yeah, she can get around. I don't know if she, how she'd go in, like, Bendigo or something. How yeah. about, <laughs> what about a special, what about a special Helen-led girls trip to Bali? Oh, like a, like you can pay 800 bucks. Yeah, it's go and hang out with Helen in Bali for a week. Maybe, oh, yeah. Like a yoga carry- retreat, but it's more like just of a, just getting blind and yeah. stuff. Yeah. No yoga. Yeah, yeah, maybe. That's not a bad idea. How would you handle being Helen full-time? Yeah, great. Fine. <laughs> It's better than being me. Uh, well, if you've got tickets to see the show at the Malt House, mm. which is uh, next week on the 23rd. 20... Nah. Nah. Look what happens when Jeff is in here. 30th of June it is. There's two shows, seven and nine. But they, oh, I think at the, you know how they hold tickets back and then at the last minute they release them. Yeah. Get they, on the waiting list. Yeah, there'll be there'll be some of those, I think. Um, but other than that. It's... Keep your eye out. And, yeah. Uh, keep... Get on the project website and have a look at that. <laughs> Meanwhile, thanks, Edo, for coming in. Thank mate. you. You are listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. You are tuned to breakfast. It's Jeff, you, you were away yesterday. I was. I was very sick. Yes. I'm really glad to hear that you're feeling better. Uh, but Also, you. you missed out on me telling story about seeing whales. Yes, um, I'm very jealous that you saw whales. It's it was the greatest day of my life. Here's an update. Um, I so just a back. I didn't even know you were going anywhere Neither where there were I. whales in the offing. What's what's been one of my greatest dreams to see a surprise whale? Uh, it wasn't quite a surprise, but I did. I went on a whale watching tour and saw some whales. And it was uh-huh. in Sydney. Yeah, in Sydney, it was so good. You should do it. That it's whale season. At the moment, whale season. Well, Jeff. as you know, I went on a whale watching tour and we didn't see any whales yeah. except for the one tail that came oh, up. Yeah. I saw the tail and Steph didn't see. Did anything. you get money back? No, because you saw a tail. You saw a tail. Oh, we did actually get money back, but mm. um, anyway, oh, wow. I was yes, I was well, pleased that I saw its tail. It was quite a big tail. Yeah, 
I, but I would have been keen to see some more of it other than just its tail. So a couple of whiles, it was it was great. Uh, and so my uh, an update on that is oh also on the boat that we went out. I went on like a, on a speed boat type thing, um, and then when we were coming back. It went so fast that I thought my contact lenses were, were going to pop out. Oh, my God, that oh. would have been amazing. So good. <laughs> was had, that good? Yeah. It would have been pretty good. awesome. The visual. fun. Woo. Like we went, was heading straight for the um, for the cliffs and then turned right at the last second. It's like we were in Mission Impossible. <laughs> sure. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, dun, dun, it was heaps dun, of fun. Dun. Were you doing that noise? Nah. Oh, it was just, oh, just... Kind of look slightly down, so you, so the wind does it. Don't look at the wind on an angle. So your contacts pop out. That's something you never see in Mission Impossible. Tom Cruise's no. contacts flying out because he's going too fast in a speedboat. Exactly. I bet he's got contacts too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, anyway, just catching you up on. All that. right, I'm up to speed. Um, and just to let you know that uh, I probably will probably quit um, comedy and radio and everything to become a captain on a. On a while watching boat. Do you reckon she'd be good at that? Yes. I can see you in the outfit. I feel like you have a few nautical themed shirts already. Yes, that's uh, true. You know what you'd have to get around wearing a cap because you don't you can't wear caps. Yeah, but I think I'd be all right with the sailor's Maybe cap. Maybe a sailor's cap would look good yeah. on you because it's it's shorter up the top. Yeah. But therefore, I don't. I won't have the problem with the years. Jez thing. has a the same problem that Dustin Martin, Richmond footballer, has. Mm. Can't wear caps. Also, you could intersperse the whale watching with some comedy stylings if the whale didn't turn up. No, I just, I just give constant, yeah, hilarious whale to it. Yeah. yeah, and also you could mix it up with some nautical terms. Sure, to go but, with your sailor. Hat. Yeah, but I'm not going to do stand up on a boat. It'll just be kind of um, just. I'll just be funny. It'd just be natural, you know. Naturally funny. Yeah, yeah. Like it was a, like like Laura Dunham with the line. Tours down at wherever you park. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it'll be, you know, g'day, everybody. Welcome to Jez's Whale Watching Adventures. Oh, I love it. Yeah. And then you can get on. Are and you driving the boat, though? Yes. That means you've got to learn, you've got to get your boat license. Oh, man. I have to do many, many things. Okay. Will you say, ahoy there, mateys, as people get on board? No, probably not. That's not in my, like, I'll just be natural. Oh, okay. Just Jez. Just Jez. Right. But imagine <laughs> that I've grown up on the sea and I've taken it over. An from old salty, salty old sea, sea dog. dog. Yeah. <laughs> so I've, I've taken, like, Dad used to run the oh business. Oh, my God, you could wear an eye an eye, eye patch. patch. Oh, yeah, because I lost my contact lens. <laughs> <laughs> to keep the contacts in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I have to, I do, oh, no, but just one at a time. Uh, so that that's my dream now, to become a... Um, yeah, a captain on a while watching adventure tour. Oh, it's quite the dream. Oh, yeah. yeah, for the second half of your life. Yeah, is it? Do you reckon it's too late to? No, no. I reckon re reimagine. Because I don't know. What, what time do, do they go out while watching? Maybe you can do. Um... Well, throughout the winter, so the... an apprenticeship over our holidays. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. You can do a stint on radio in the morning and then head off. For a bit of whale watching. Do you reckon oh, you could do it. an apprenticeship on a whale boat? Well, maybe I'll yeah move to like somewhere like Warnable. There's whales out there, isn't it? If there? you own a whale boat, give us <laughs> a call. Jazz wants to be your. Hmm, well, just a apprentice. normal. Just a, I think I'd start off like maybe um, start small and yeah. just uh, like dolphins. Canoe. Dolphins. Yes. Body. Uh, Jazz's canoe. Whale canoes. <laughs> yeah. Or, or a kayak. going out to see the whales on a canoe. How fast are they getting away? Yeah. Well, still, how exciting. Get up close if they... Imagine that. Yeah. Oh, here comes the tail. 
real adventure. And then and then I'll move up to like a um a rowboat. Ah. And then I'll Which you make the other people row because that'd be draining if you were rowing. Or maybe someone else could help. And then I'd move up to a a gondola. Oh. Go away watching. A gondola, <laughs> romantic whale watching. Yeah. Oh, this is a suggestion for a business title. Geraldine Hickey's Whale of a Time. There you go. Thank oh, you. Mate, that is good. Have a whale of a time. <laughs> Although good... I don't see you would on a rowboat, but you could be had to row. <laughs> true, true. Uh, That's a gondola idea though. But I just, I just, like I was, when I was travelling out there, I thought, oh, geez, what a great life this would be. Yeah. Like the guy running it, it was just a really cool chilled out. Do you live on the boat? No, I don't, no. No, it wasn't that kind of boat. You couldn't mm. live on it. Maybe he does, though, and you don't know. Maybe he covers himself with a tarp at night. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, very, very possible. Uh, but it was uh, – I just like the idea of that. that's his day. Like he went out, you know, get up early and go out on an early morning one and then just three times a day maybe. That's it. But what do you do for the rest of the year when whale watching season's over? Just um, do prepare all the marketing materials for next season. Yeah, work on your memoirs. Do you reckon you can yeah. make enough money in three months? Like, how long are the whales swimming for? A month, max? No, for three months. No, from about, aren't like they? June uh-huh. to November. Okay, but what yeah. do you do the rest of the time? Maybe just pay people out no. in your boat to look at the yeah, sea. look at yeah. birds and so forth. That's an idea. Yeah, just cruise around shark spotting. <laughs> Maybe you just tell mm-hmm. them that you don't tell them it's not whale season. You just go out there and say. There might be a whale sometimes, and at the end of it, you say, "Oh well, there wasn't any." Wasn't any whale. I feel like that's illegal. But then you'd have to. They, they all have a you know. If you don't see a whale, you get to come back again on another time. Ah. Oh. But then, so I can't do. Yeah, I like the idea of you oh know writing God. a memoir. You could hire a friend to dress up as some kind of sea creature. <laughs> yeah. And that's like a mermaid, mm-hmm. and you take families out with kids to see a mermaid, and then. Yeah. Or yeah. I could just do like... And then um, you spot a mermaid. That's a really fun idea. Come for the whale. Yeah. Stay, Stay for, for the, the mermaid. mermaid. Or I'll be the mermaid. Okay. I always wanted to dress up as a mermaid. You could get... Um, I dressed up as a mermaid once for Rocker Stedford. Oh, yeah. it was King Neptune. Sorry. Oh, I big. feel like there's but a But it had a, a big roll of um, bubble wrap that I wrapped around my legs and we spray painted green. I so feel there's a bit effective. of a difference between dressing up as a mermaid for Rocker Stedford and splashing about out, out in the ocean. You don't find a rock. <laughs> Yeah, put you up on a rock, and I'll yeah, that's yeah. right. I'll do. It'll just be so. On a boat to see a whale, and there's Sarah Smith no. on a rock dressed in fun. But this Hello, is. I'm a mermaid. But this is the summertime cruises, right? Summertime cruises. It's get on my boat, and I'll go. Oh, it's just going to go over a bit of a harbour cruise. I go. Oh, we'd go around this spot and come around the corner. There you are on a rock. Surprise mermaid. Surprise mermaid. That's the best kind. This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. You're tuned to Breakfasters here on Triple R with Jeff Geraldine and Sarah. Dead right, how neoliberalism ate itself. It's the title of the latest quarterly essay out now through Black Ink. Its author is Richard Dennis, the Chief Economist at the Australia Institute. He's joining us now in the Breakfasters studio. Welcome to Triple R. Good morning. What is, or perhaps I should say, what was neoliberalism? Look, neoliberalism is an ideology, and that's not a bad word. People sort of talk about ideology as a bad thing. Ideology means a coherent set of beliefs or ideas. And uh, neoliberalism is the set of ideas that says effectively that the smaller our government is, the better our society is, uh, that, that 
markets are more efficient always than uh, than public provision of services, and that in turn, if we privatise and deregulate, we'll, we'll make the world a better place. You give us a very striking example of the consequences of this kind of thinking, the development of the Australian War Memorial. Now, that's an example people might not have think of, think of but tell us what you had in mind there. Yeah, look, during World War II, uh, 1941, Australia built the, the War Memorial to, to remember the, the men and women who died fighting for our country. Back in World War II, when Australia was a much poorer country with a lot on our plate, uh, we, we built a beautiful War Memorial to, to remember our dead. But neoliberalism has made us feel so poor. Neoliberalism tells us we can't afford to do simple things. So in turn, these days, the war memorial we built in 1941 is literally sponsored by weapons manufacturers. Indeed, the, the Pool of Reflection, which is a beautiful uh, architectural feature, it's, it's surrounded by uh, 102,000 names of men and women who died fighting for our country. And the, in the Pool of Reflection, uh, the Gas Association has been kind enough to sponsor an eternal flame and Origin Energy have been kind enough to sponsor the gas in the eternal flame. And while the names of the 102,000 men and women who died are all in the same size font because the war memorial was designed on the principle that all men and women were equal in death, uh, the sponsors get bigger font. So we, we now, you know, lest we forget our sponsors, those corporates who didn't build the war memorial, let's be clear, we did, our community did, those sponsors who came in late get bigger, bolder recognition than, than people who died fighting for our country. You also talk about sporting stadiums being named after companies. We have Etihad Stadium in Melbourne's just been called Marvel. Mm. Uh, and you talk about how we're more likely to be able to give props to uh, a company like that than to talk about the fact that the taxpayers fund most of these sporting That's right. arenas. Yeah, look, I, I don't know the details of Etihad, but yeah. I know... So once upon a time in Brisbane, they had Lang Park Stadium and Lang Park was named after one of one of the founders of our democracy. He, he was an early Australian who really thought we should be independent from England and that we should elect our own government. So we named this big public building after him. But of course, these days we call it Suncorp Stadium. Uh, and every commentator, including on the ABC, talks about Suncorp Stadium as the place. But of course, Suncorp didn't build it. And Suncorp don't give most of the money to run it. They just provide the last couple of bucks and in turn get full naming rights for it. So so again, we're, we're made to feel poor. We're made to feel as if even though we live in one of the richest countries in the world, even though we've had 27 years of economic growth that our politicians love to brag about, we're made to feel that it's only thanks to the generosity of a corporation that we can have a war memorial or a beautiful public building mm. when, of course, we just never put a big slogan up on a, on a public building saying, paid for by your taxes. <laughs> Uh, you talked about neoliberalism in terms of a moving away from the idea of the state towards the market. But, of course, as you also show in the essay, there are times when neoliberalism means a stronger state and more scrutiny. For instance, if you're on welfare, you are scrutinised to the nth degree 
Whereas, as you say, old people's homes today have almost no scrutiny. How do we explain the difference between those two things? Yeah, that's right. So, again, in theory, like the, 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 the ideology of neoliberalism would say that, you know, you trust the individual and you don't trust the state. But, of course, in practice in Australia, neoliberalism means that we never trust an unemployed person to spend their unemployment benefits wisely. We can't trust welfare recipients to make good decisions. But having privatised and outsourced essential services like aged care, even though we still publicly fund these facilities, we trust that the people running them will always do a good job. And we trust that they'll look after vulnerable old people so much that we don't even bother inspecting them anymore. And, of course, in recent times, we've found horrible examples of abuse and death in aged care centres where there literally hadn't been an inspector show up for 10 years. So the point I make in the essay is that neoliberalism is very strategically applied. You know, we, we trust in some people usually rich, powerful people, <laughs> and we can't trust vulnerable people. Uh, and it's the contradictions in neoliberalism that, that I'm trying to explore. The political implications of this is another one of the themes that run through the essay. You say that the neoliberal turn has meant that in response to almost every policy issue we ask, is it good for the market? Mm. But then you say markets aren't equipped to answer those sorts of questions. We need to be asking different sorts of questions. Can you tease that out for us? Yeah, so we, we've kind of... Neoliberalism's done lots of things to our society, but some of the most important things it's done is change our language and change our worldview. So we used to say things like uh, we want a great education system because we want our kids to have a great education system. How old-fashioned is that? <laughs> now we say, oh, a great education system's important because it will give them skills and they'll be employable when they finish their work, when they finish their study. Now, of course, people finishing school want a job, but we now justify and explain pretty much everything we want to do through the potential to help the economy. So, you know, the arts have to explain all the time, not that the arts are important, but that they'll create a job. Uh, again, of course, creating jobs are important, but uh, these these principles don't apply everywhere. No one says that uh, no one says that spending billions of dollars on submarines is the best way to create jobs. We just want to spend billions of dollars on submarines. We're going to spend a hundred billion dollars on joint strike fighters imported from the US. That's not a great way to create jobs. It won't make the economy strong, but we want to buy them. And is that's it, the thing. We're rich enough that we can do that. Is it unique to Australia, though? I don't think it's unique to Australia. I think we have a pretty bad dose of it. Uh, and it's, it, it's relatively unique to English-speaking Western democracies. Um, Margaret Thatcher really kicked all of this off. Um, Ronald Reagan was, a, was an early adopter. And Australia and New Zealand kind of really led the world in let's privatise everything, let's deregulate everything. But look at Brexit. Look at Trump. Hmm. All around the world, people have just completely rejected the idea that free markets and free trade are all we need. But in Australia, we're stuck pretending that that's what we're trying to do when the current government wants to subsidise coal mines, nationalise power stations and, and restrict trade in live sheep. All clear interventions in the market 
fine, you know, to democracy, we can intervene, but we still pretend they're free marketeers. They're not. They intervene when they want to, and that's that's what democracy should do. Yes, because I wanted to come back to your definition of neoliberalism, because it seems to me in, in many ways what you're describing is basically monopoly capitalism outside the specific period of the post, post-war long boom, that this is just what the system as a whole looks like these days, rather than a specific set of policies, how how would you respond to that? Well, well, I guess yeah, exactly. Is is neoliberalism an ideology, or is it just the name we call a group of politicians? You know, the ideology has quite clear meanings. It's small government, you know, uh, government getting out of the way, leaving it into individuals to make their own minds up. But if you were a small government, uh, if if your philosophy was small government, you'd never subsidise new coal mines. You'd say that's a crazy idea. If your philosophy was small government, you wouldn't have Tony Abbott saying, let's nationalise coal-fired power stations. If you supported free trade, you wouldn't say, let's ban live sheep exports. Now, it's okay. This is my point. I agree with Minister Canavan that subsidies for coal will give us more coal mines. I agree with him that subsidies work. I'd rather subsidise dental care, though. He wants to subsidise coal mines because he wants more coal mines. I'd like to subsidise dental care because I'd like more dental care. That's okay. We both agree that subsidies work. The, mm. the democratic question is, do you want more coal mines or do you want more dentists? Mm. So so in, we still call these people neoliberal. All I'm saying is that they're no longer linked to the philosophy that they once claimed to have. And once we stop calling them the wrong names, I think we'll see their actions for what they are. They're, they're giving public money to people they like. They're taking public money from the ABC because they don't like them. That's okay. It's a democracy. Uh, your title has neoliberalism in the past tense and asked the question, what comes next? Are you confident that these ideas are discredited or you, are you just suggesting that an alternative is possible? I have to say, every time I hear Bill Shorten talk, I hear the same kind of rhetoric coming from Bill Shorten's mouth. Yeah, no, it's dead. There's not a single parliamentarian in federal parliament that thinks there's nothing we should regulate. Not one. They all want to regulate something. They're just disagreeing about what. Uh, David Lionhelm is often called the ultra-libertarian. Ultra, I don't know what that means, but apparently he's (laughs) ultra-libertarian. But he wants to regulate wind turbines. He doesn't like them. And that's okay. Right, it's, that's our constitution says that our democratically elected politicians can regulate whatever the hell they want. Well, you, he, you do talk a bit about um, democratic education and how, you know, most people don't even understand what preferential voting is, mm. um, and yet not having it has quite of an effect. And then you look at what happened. In, in the US, for example. Uh, do you want to talk a bit about that? Yeah, sure. Um, so, yeah, so one of neoliberalism's other good tricks is to kind of convince everyone that democracy doesn't work, that it's broken, mm. that parliament's broken, it doesn't matter who's in, which, of course, if you're trying to tell everyone that, politi- that you know, to, to stay out of politics and to stay out of democracy, why not tell everybody that democracy's broken and boring and doesn't work? So, yeah, unfortunately, most people leave school in Australia with very little understanding of how our electoral system works. Most people don't really understand how preferential voting works. And and I talk about that in the essay, not to make people feel dumb, but to make people feel normal. Mm. Right? It's, most people think that other people understand this stuff. 
but our education system, our media and the tenor of our public debate doesn't help citizens understand how it works. We just tell everyone it doesn't work. So, yeah, preferential voting, I love it. Some people disagree, but preferential voting is great. Imagine I said to you, can you go down the shops and get me a hamburger, and if there's no hamburgers, can you get me a slice of pizza? I've just expressed my preferences in a clear order. If hamburgers are available, I'd like a hamburger. If there's no hamburger, I'll have a pizza, thanks. Preferential voting allows you to say, well, I'd like to... uh, First up, I'd I'd like uh, political party A to form government, and if they can't form government, well, then my second preference is political party B. And then we rank them all from which one we like most to which one we like least. Now, in America, they don't have that. They just have what's called first past the post. And that meant that uh, back in the early 2000s, when Al Gore was running against George Bush, um, a, a third party ran, a guy called Ralph Nader. He ran as an independent. Ralph Nader got a couple of million votes. Um, But with no preferential voting, those votes count for nothing. And Al Gore lost to George Bush by 500 votes in Florida. Mm. In Australia, if you had voted Ralph Nader one, you probably would have put Al Gore two. Mm. And Al Gore would have beaten George Bush and we might not have had the Gulf War. But their system is, no, just pick one. And it's like me saying, could you go down the shop and get me a hamburger? And if no hamburgers, I don't want anything. <laughs> you know, so when we don't understand our democracy, uh, I don't think we can participate in it as well. The, the quarterly essay is entitled Dead Right, How Neoliberalism Ate Itself. I feel like we could talk about it for a long time, but we are running out of time. Thank you very much, Richard Dennis, for coming in and chatting with us. Thank you. You're triple R. This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. You're tuned to Breakfasters here on Triple R. Best Friends is a new movie out by the team that bought you the cult classic The Room. It stars Tommy Wiseau alongside our next guest, the writer and actor Greg Sestero. Welcome back to Breakfasters. Glad to be here. Last time we saw you, last November, you were touring to promote The Disaster Artist, the film based on your book about the making of The Room. When did the idea for Best Friends come together? Um, So after making The Room, I'd never expected to work with Tommy again (laughs) for many reasons. Um, And, you know, it wasn't until I saw a rough cut of The Disaster Artist that I thought, okay, now I get it. You know, Tommy's main goal, despite being very difficult, is he just wants to be an actor and he wants people to take him seriously as an actor. And for some odd reason, he sees himself as this leading man, Marlon Brando-esque character. And so he casts himself as a, a banker in the room, which... I don't think anybody believes him as a banker when they watch that movie. <laughs> uh, so I thought, you know what? I've been I've been trying to write TV shows and screenplays, and I'd always get it halfway and kind of stop. And then I thought, what if I wrote something that puts Tommy and I together in a role for him that fits him and try to make this kind of weird, bizarre thriller, thriller neo-noir and, uh, and see what happens? And so uh, I wrote the role of a mortician for him, and I pitched it to him, and he's like, Sure, we can try. Why not? Uh, but he wanted to be the same height in this movie. That was his one request. The same height as you? Or the was... same height as me. So we would so be... How did, how did you achieve that? It was... it's, it's a long story. When you see the movie, it's one of his trademarks oh. where any of his decisions, 
I feel like you question them, but they turn into gold when you see them on screen. And so it was really, um, yeah, it was really a chance for us to try to make something different all these years later, 15 years, uh, and try to just go out and, and, and surprise our fans and give them a new film. It is very funny. And also, I, I remember last time you, you spoke about Tommy in this way that you were drawn to him because he was such a charismatic kind of enigmatic person, I guess, and I think that really comes across in this film. He's so funny um, and it feels like a, a, a bit of it was ad-libbed. Is that right? Is it a bit of I improv mean, going on? I mean, it's surprising to say a lot of it was scripted. Well, at this point, it's, a lot of it was scripted because I can think like Tommy. So I'm like, this is uh, what he would say in this uh, moment or this is what he said. So when we would rehearse... Well, that makes complete sense. He wouldn't even look at the script and he'd say the line and he'd be like, no, 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 I w- I'm, I'll do exactly like script. And then he looks down and he's like, oh, that's the line. I mean, <laughs> uh, so it was putting him in a chance to succeed. Now, there was a scene that involves Chinese food and I won't spoil anything. But he went off the rails in that scene. I have no idea what he was trying to say. <laughs> but as long as it was, if it was Tommy being Tommy... In a genuine way, I think it was okay to ad lib yeah. uh, certain scenes. Were there any kind of moments where you were back together on set where you went, "Oh, it's this is like you're having flashbacks to the room." This was a totally different experience. I think yeah. we had a lot of fun making this movie, and when we tested it, people noticed that they're like, "You seem like you guys had a lot of fun." The room was like watching a train wreck. It was just <laughs> like you you didn't know what was going to happen. Um, and so this movie, uh, it, everybody was there to try to make the best movie possible, and I think. You know, we were trying to, to be serious, even though, it, you know, again, when you try to be serious, that's where the comedy happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, yeah, it was just, it was a fun time. Uh, people who've seen The Disaster Artist um, will know you, your relationship with Tommy has been quite a checkered one. And you spoke about that when we talked to you last time. Was it, were, were you kind of nervous about coming back together? Was it sort of difficult to make the decision to work together again? Uh, once I had the story which uh, I wrote in four days with the help of an edible. Um, it, uh, I was very clear on this wasn't going to be the room or we weren't going to try to make the room. So it felt fresh, you know, mm-hmm. and like the, this character and the story and, and I was kind of delving into uh, some inspiration from a lot of films that I really loved, um, you know, like Nightcrawler, for example, or kind of take, telling, trying to tell a very you know, strange original story that a lot of it was inspired by true events. Um, so I, once that came together, I wasn't worried because I knew this was going to be a different beast than The Room. Um, and that was exciting just to try to make something different. Did you get much feedback? Because The Room has such a cult following. Did you ever get a mail or anything from fans requesting something of you, you know, as, as part of this film, for you to include something in this film? Were the fans involved in any way? Um, I mean, I, I use the same approach I did with the book with when I wrote The Disaster Artist yeah. that I think a lot of fans were thinking I was going to write the worst book ever or it was just going to yeah. be six chapters talking about football and roses. And <laughs> um, so I, I had a clear vision for what the book was going to be. I wanted to give people a lot more than that. Yeah. Um, and so it's similar here. Like, is there going to be footballs? Is there going to be, you know, is he going to tear you apart? It was kind of, I think, you know, you watch The Room for so many years that it's hard to imagine something else. And so um, much like the book, I tried to to do something, you know, hopefully equally as enjoyable as The Room in some ways, but but give them something different. It felt like there was a couple of scenes in the movie that were a bit of a, a homage, I guess, to to The Room. Like there's a, there's a bit where you were playing basketball or at first you were just kind of passing a basketball to each other. And I thought, this is very much like you throwing a football to each other. Was that kind of deliberate thing or was that just a... 
Um, Happy so yeah, there was no intention to reference the room at all, but I feel like the power of the room just forces its way. <laughs> yeah. the point. But we were shooting on a real morgue set. It was a, it was really? a yeah, it was a real morgue, and next door they had a replica set. So there were bodies that were coming in <gasps> and interrupting our shoot, which was very inconvenient. <laughs> uh, so Tommy just picked up a basketball and started shooting hoops. And we ended up filming the scene. It was like, maybe this is what these guys do when, you know, in a break from working because there was a hoop there. There was a basketball. Uh, so we just kind of rolled with it. And um, and then there was a spiral staircase that was randomly in this location we were shooting at. Uh, and I walked up it and I thought, this is very familiar, but <laughs> maybe people will notice. Maybe they won't. And then we when we tested it, it got a standing ovation. So yeah, right. it was, they were totally unplanned. But I felt like if, if they worked their way into the story... Uh, then it was okay. I mean, for example, you know, Room fans are, you know, pretty much who you're making this movie for. Mm. You know, the Room has been screening here in Melbourne at Cinema Nova for like nine years. I remember mm. the first video I ever did for fans was for um, Cinema Nova, which is crazy. So it's it's cool, you know, to come back and, and show this new movie there. And, uh, and you just got to remember who you're making the movie for. So as long as those references... Um, fit the story, then I think it was okay. You just mentioned that this is based on true events. I've seen that in the publicity as well. But when I was watching the film, I was kind of thinking, what could these true events possibly be? (laughs) This is a story about an undertaker making masks. There's gold teeth. There's all this stuff going. What what were the true events? I've lived a a bizarre life. Um, (laughs) So in 2003, Tommy and I took a road trip up the California coast, um, up to Bodega Bay. And for some reason on this trip, he thought it was a whole scheme to try to kill him. Oh. And it wasn't. Oh, that's good to But when I, wow. when I started coming up with a story, I, I kind of delved into wondering what, how would I do it? What would happen? Um, and that kind of sparked a few things. And then um, my brother is a dentist in real life. And he started telling me these stories about dentists selling their scrap and making more money doing that than dentistry and this whole underground world because gold and silver being worth so much money now, um, which was really fascinating. So he was kind of involved in it and he was sharing me what was going on. And so it's just kind of piecing these things that were going on in my life with movies that I loved and just kind of blended them together. Can we just go back to Tommy thinking you were going to kill him? <laughs> Is that At what point in the trip did that come out? So we get up there, and, and it's a for any of you who have driven up the California coast from San Francisco up to Bodega Bay, it's a windy road. It's dark. So I figured let's just stay in a motel. There's one motel in town, one room left. I was like, let's just stay here for the night, and then we'll head back in the morning. Uh, and so I t- he was like in really full vampire mode. His hair was everywhere. He looked grungy, and I was like, I don't think we should walk in together. The guy might say, like, these dudes are going to sit in here and do drugs all night. No, thank you. Uh, so I told him to meet me around the back, which he thought was a plan so he wasn't seen by the hotel clerk oh, and that no cameras would see him. So he's like, I saw the look in your eye. I sensed I know what you're going to maybe try to do. And so he said he went to bed that night praying to God, please don't kill me, my God. Uh, and I just – I never forgot that. And so I brought it up to him recently. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember very well. I, that's what I thought. Uh, so I thought – it was definitely something to roll with in the movie, and so that is great. Okay, so as you said, the uh, no, Cinema Nova has been playing the room for a long time. You're doing a Q and A there tonight. Yeah, we did some screenings last night, and uh, I loved seeing the faces of 
the Melbourne fans of just complete uh, joy and shock. I think they're like, <laughs> I, it took all my senses to experience that, which is what you love to hear. Or, you know, it's a combination of being drunk and high, but not having anything. <laughs> um, and so we did Q and A's last night. We're doing more Q and A's tonight. Uh, at Cinema Nova, and then it, it's going to open on uh, July 5th. I think if you're a fan of The Room, it is very, very worth checking out. Oh, and before we go, just on the title, I've been pronouncing it Best Friends. It's actually Best F brackets R-I-N-D-S. Is it Friends? Is that how we pronounce yeah, it? Yeah, it's, it's Best Friends. I, uh, another, I'm a big fan of uh, Werner Herzog. He made a, a documentary called My Best Fiend. Uh, and when I started writing this story, like I said, I had an edible, and it was like came together in four days. That's so the first thing I wrote. And I wrote the title that way. I just I don't know why how it came out that way. But when we were coming time to make the movie, Tommy was like, "No, you should keep title just like that because your first instinct is best way to go." <laughs> so I thought he knows titles. I'm just going to follow his lead, and I just left it that way. Excellent. The film is best friends. You can catch it tonight at Cinema Nova with a Q and A with our guest Greg Sestero. Thanks so much for coming. Yeah. Thanks, guys. You're listening to the best bits of the Breakfasters from Three Triple R.